Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the British Film Institute. I'm Henry. And I'm Anna. Join in, Anna. I really appreciate how hard you try, but you know I can't. It'd be off-brand. I ask because this episode will be talking about Singing in the Rain. The toe-tapping, puddle-stomping classic has been re-released by the BFI as part of a three-month season of movie musicals, running, dancing, whistling, warbling, etc., all the way into January. But before we get onto that, Anna, what have you been watching? Well, it's been London Film Festival, and I've had the winter in my house for three weeks. So <laughs> I've mainly been watching YouTube videos and LFF films. Films IRL. Yes, in a cinema on a wow. big screen. What's that like? Premieres with comfy seats. Mm. To be honest, it was great. And other people. Yeah, that was not so great. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually fantastic. I think it's probably one of the best programs I've experienced. I saw some incredible new stuff, but I was absolutely blown away by St. Maud. St. Maud. Yeah, which became, I think, one of the most hyped about films in the festival. And it's also BFI backed, I believe. And that was just stunning. I knew nothing about it going in. And everything was just completely up my street. I've got more important things on my mind. Oh, yes, of course. Well, how could mere human frivolity possibly compete with the Heavenly Father's warm heart pulsing? Ow! Let's go. Let's go. This is Rose Glass's debut film exactly. about a young woman who takes it upon herself. She's very kind of religious, takes it upon herself to look after a woman who's got cancer and sees it as her divine mission, right? Exactly, to save her soul. Mm. But it's so much more than that. That's just a basic plot structure. I am but pretty it's basic. A- yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've established that across three seasons now, Ken. Um, but also this amazing video essay documentary about showgirls and the, particularly the fan phenomenon around showgirls uh, called You Don't Know Me. The best pun title ever. So what are you going to Vegas for? Are you going to win? I'm going to dance. It's fantastic. Kind of taps into the, um, you know, showgirls is a debatable masterpiece mm-hmm. in its own right. But... 
it really taps into not the making of the film, but the reactions that the film has generated, both at the time and how different people have appropriated it or been inspired by it to create other offshoots. We take the cash, we cash the check, we show them what they want to see. So say, immersive screenings, off-Broadway plays, sketches, poetry books. You know, there's this massive audience appropriation of this film that was highly debated at the time of release. If someone gets in your way, step on them. It's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about power. You're a stripper. Don't you get it? I'm a dancer. And a lot of love for Elizabeth Berkley as well, who kind of carried the brunt of the criticism about that film. It's a fantastic doc, and I think it's going to have some screenings dotted around London. So it's definitely worth checking out. Great. Anna, I'm going to give you a choice about what I've been watching. Well, not what I've been watching, but what I'm going to talk about this time. You can have Chompers or Fortnite. Which one are you going to go for? Let's go for Fortnite, because I recognize that name from... (laughs) Some people who I know who play video games. Yeah, so how's this for basic, right? Fortnite is enjoyed, if not uh, devoured, by hundreds of millions of people, and I've only just got into it. Did you hear that? You've got nothing to worry about. Trust me. I've got the heightened senses of a ninja. Oh, I am so sorry. Hey, hey, it's okay. We're going to get you out of here. Oh, thank you. We thought you were more of those... things. But there's a reason for that. First of all, I'm old and out of fashion, but also... It's done this amazing thing narratively over the last... It's been going for 10 seasons that have kind of limited time. And it's, this is a battle royale computer game. So people kind of join in, play against 99 other people, which seems like a kind of very transitory, very throwaway experience. But what the company Epic Games who's made it have done, if they strung a narrative across that whole season, which led up to, last week, the end of the world in Fortnite. So there was a black hole... Everything in the game, including all the characters, all the set pieces and like the, the settings that they've come to love, was sucked into the black hole, including, in the real world, the company's Twitter feed, their YouTube channel, and press release and all that kind of thing. So the narrative of the game exploded out into the real world. And if you tried to log on to the game on your console or whatever, or computer, last week, all you got was a black screen because literally everything in real life and digitally had been sucked into this abyss. I just loved that they did that. It's a stunt, and obviously it generates huge publicity for the game and gets people like me playing it who've never really kind of dabbled with it before. But there was something genius about that and really fun. And there was a big part of me that just really wanted them to stop there and just leave the story like that. It's like when, I was thinking about it, it's like when Steven Soderbergh said he was going to quit. Sometimes I want people just to quit when they've done something amazing or quit when they're at their absolute peak. And I understand why people don't, including Epic Games and Steven Soderbergh. But this was just, for that day and a half where Fortnite didn't exist, it felt punkish and cool and amazing. And I really, really enjoyed it. Good night, Kathy. See you tomorrow. Good night, darling. Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star now, remember? This California dew is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place. On to Singing in the Rain, released in 1952, the musical tells the story of Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont, silent movie stars whose winning chemistry is about to be washed away by the arrival of sound. Audios turned up the dial on their weaknesses. Don's a ham, and Lena's got a voice for, well, silent film. 
Happily, Don's bumped into a jobbing theatre actor with a golden voice. She might just hold the answer to all this talkie-based trickiness. Wait a minute. You mean I'm not an actor. Pantomime on the screen is an actor. Of course not. Acting means great parts, wonderful lines, speaking those glorious words. words. Shakespeare, Ibsen. Tell me, what's your lofty mission in life that lets you sneer at my humble profession? Well, I... I'm an actress. What? On the stage. Oh, on the stage. Well, I'd like to see you act. What are you in right now? I could brush up on my English or uh, bring along an interpreter. That is, if they'd let in a movie actor. Well, I'm not in a play right now, but I will be. I'm going to New York. Oh, you're going to New York. And then someday we'll all hear of you, won't we? Anna, musicals. A polarising genre, I think. Do you like them? Do you think it's polarising? I do. I think musicals and horror are two film genres that people, perhaps undereducated people like me, have trouble connecting with? I think maybe it's one of those genres, same as horror, where people think that a musical is one specific thing, Mm -hmm. as opposed to a genre that has a myriad of different variations and tropes and different types of talent attached to it. You know, My Fair Lady is not Hedwig and the Angry Inch, but they're both musicals. Yeah. Um, Yes, I am a fan. It's not my necessarily go-to genre. Uh, the what one kind of musicals do you like then, given that there's a spectrum? I like both The Singing in the Rain and The Hendrick and the Angry Inch. That's my spectrum. <laughs> Broad it's taste. one of those genres that's actually, you become more attached to specific stars or directors or set pieces. Similar to action films in that sense. Yeah, I think it's, it's oddly enough similar to that. Weirdly, similar to action and similar to horror by the reactions to the audiences. So it's kind of like you either love all of them or you don't love them at all. But I love singing in the rain deeply and a lot of other musicals, but I hate La La Land. I want Jason Statham in a musical. That's all I could think about whilst you were talking. All right, then. No, that's my door. Pick another door. What's wrong with you? You know what? You were right. This is your door. What's the matter? You got a lot of bad guys behind that door? I would really, I would give everything for that. We've already had The Rock in Moana and he was great. When you're staring at a demigod, what can I say? He was fantastic. He should do a live-action musical. Yeah. I really want him to do a live-action musical. We need Fast and Furious, the musical, on film. When's that going to happen? We digress. What makes Singing in the Rain a classic musical? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I'm thinking it's not a classic musical because it does not have Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And now I really want The Rock to do a musical next because he's already... A Singing in the Rain remake. Okay, let's not go that far because Gene Kelly is untouchable. Why? Um, he just has that presence and he's sort of an unexpected musical genius. And I say unexpected just because he doesn't have the look and the frame of a conventional, soft, dancing, leading man. And I use the word soft because he's, you know, he's quite a, a large dude, and, but he feels so light on his feet. And very unthreatening mm-hmm. in many ways. So you almost expect him to have become a, a sort of James Cagney type. But actually he became not a rival because they work together and they're very different in their styles and their public personas as well. But essentially one of the most respected leading men and especially choreographers and dancers that the screen has ever seen. Of course, I must admit I was pretty much upset by it. So upset that I haven't been able to think of anything but you ever since. Honest? Honest. Well, I've been pretty upset too. Kathy, Kathy, look up. Kathy, seeing you again now that I... Kathy, I'm trying to say something to you, but I... I'm such a ham. <laughs> 
I guess I'm not able to without the proper setting. I personally think he's much better than Fred Astaire. I think he's a lot more charming and a lot more giving with his audience. And part of it is because you don't expect a man with his sort of, you know, Navy-like good looks and strength to feel so welcoming and open in his screen persona. Mm. Even in this film, he's quite a kind and generous figure. And he's also very much poking fun at himself, while at the same time playing an extension of his own star persona. I think he'd love this, but I think Hugh Jackman's a kind of modern equivalent oh, in God, many ways. Yes, him and Channing Tatum. Yeah, yes, like big guys yes. who have that kind of showman warmth that you really want to be who around. Have a charisma. full respect for the kind of the performative elements of stardom, mm-hmm. and also fully embrace kind of dancing on screen and being kind of a kind star persona as well. Girls, I think I've had an idea. T. Barnum, at your service. I'm putting together a show. And I need a star. Every one of us is special. And nobody is like any one of us. That's the point of my show. Bertie, showtime. play into the contradiction between what they look like and kind of the what Hollywood, let's say Hollywood or the star system would position them as and what they actually want to be perceived as. And I think The Rock actually, not to, you know, um, insist on bringing him back, but it makes sense. The Rock actually plays into that as well because he was a WWE fighter and a really successful one at that. And Mm -hmm. then he rebranded himself as a film star, but also instead of becoming a Arnold Schwarzenegger type, so only known for action movies and very violent scenes, he's become a really family-friendly figure. Oh God, his whole brand is friendliness, Yeah, Yeah. and completely desexualized. I think we've talked about this already, which I find quite interesting. There's an amazing piece by Katie Weaver on GQ that was written a few years ago about the rock brand and how he's instantly your friend and how his warmth is the thing that locks you to him, but also that he doesn't seem to have to put any effort into that. And what I really loved about Singing in the Rain, to come back to that film again, is that it works on so many levels as a Hollywood satire and also a satire of celebrity, but also the kind of thing that we've talked about a little bit before in terms of the brand building around a celebrity. So we open the film with this red carpet sequence where they, the couple, uh, Lena and Donna, coming to the release of their new film. And the announcer is breathlessly announcing that they're about to arrive. And then she asks Don to tell his story about how they met and how they came up. Your success is an inspiration to young people all over the world. Please. Don gives this very convoluted story about, oh, I went to an acting conservatoire and I trod the the boards for many years and learnt my craft. This was instilled in me by mom and dad from the very beginning. They sent me to the finest schools, including dancing school. That's where I first met Cosmo. And with him, I used to perform for all of mum and dad's society friends. And the director shows us these shots of him basically working a kind of um, cabaret circuit, for want of a better, like quite poor, low-down stage work that someone like Cary Grant did in his kind Mm -hmm. of early days as Archibald Leach. And I love that idea that this film made in 1952 is satirising the whole idea of the bullshit that is built around modern day film stars. And I really responded to that. Totally. And it actually kind of feeds into the public persona of Gene Kelly as well, which is, you know, 
he also grafted his way up to becoming a star, kind of as a choreographer first, also before kind of becoming a, an on-screen talent. It kind of does satirize the Hollywood machine, but also the PR machine yeah. and how actors in particular, because they're the most visible element of Hollywood, need to play that game. And in particular, you know, much has been said and in a way it kind of falls into this romanticizing, but also even now more than ever demystifying some of the elements of old Hollywood and kind of the golden age of Hollywood, which Jinkley and Singing in the Rain is very much part of. They had much more stricter rules and processes and the way that the studios controlled the lives, both public and private, of their actors because they were essentially on contract. Mm. So they were the property of the studios. So they had to control that narrative. And, you know, we've spoken before about Joan Crawford and how she constructed the story about her rise to fame very much to sell herself to the audience. Get out. Get your things out of here before I throw them into the street and you with them. Get out before I kill you. What's that for? I do that in all my pictures. In that world, in the world of singing in the rain, in the world of that Hollywood, you have to make the audience fall in love with you both off screen and on screen, because if they don't love you off screen, they won't buy tickets to see your movies. And then coming back to The Rock again, it's interesting that in the modern world, it's changed in the reality and exposure to what really, really happened in their life is is all, right? We want more access to our stars and we expect more access to our stars. We expect them to be on social media. We expect them to be on Instagram. We expect them to be approachable and kind to us. As we've mentioned before with someone like Keanu Reeves, that's based on a construct that we think we know about them, right? Which again is PR engineered. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's less acknowledgement these days that that kind of thing goes on, or at least we're kind of less interested in tearing down those facades that are put up but singing in the rain is interesting because it does that from the off right it immediately Mm -hmm. says what you're watching and what he's telling you is a lie and is the nonsense but you'll want to believe the nonsense because it's warm friendly and starry but it also shows you that actually he is a true artist trapped inside a consumer machine yeah. So he's being told that he needs to tell the story. He's being told that the star that he needs, the female lead that he needs to work with is Lena, despite her being clearly untalented and unsuited for the role that she's playing. And then he needs to hide the true talent that he kind of casually discovers. Thanks, Joe. I looked for you the other night at Wally Ray's party. Where were you? Oh, I've been busy. Give us the lights out. And I know what you've been busy at, looking for that girl. As a matter of fact, yes. Why? I've been worried about her. Well, you should have been worried about me a little. After all, I'm the one who got the whipped cream and a kisser. Yes, but you didn't lose your job, and she did. Darn tootin' she did. I arranged it. What? Well, they weren't going to fire her, so I called them up and told them they better. See, I disagree, because I think Mm -hmm. Lena is great at her job. Lena is exactly what the studio needs her to be, right? Like, she's very good on camera. If We see lots of scenes of them shooting silent films together. She's great at emoting for a silent camera. The problem is that Lena doesn't have, quote-unquote, the right voice for when Mm -hmm. the talkies come in. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. The the scene where she's having elocution lessons Mm -hmm. and she's trying to say can't stand him and it comes out as can't stand him. Can't. 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 And there's a lot of hilarious sending up of the process of filmmaking in this, which the Coen brothers later basically ripped off for Hell Caesar or lovingly pastiched for Hell Caesar. But the, the scene One where... the same. <laughs> it is in film. Um... <laughs> Say your line exactly as I'm about to, just as I'm about to do. Sure, okay. With the tutor so simple, 
Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twer? Well, you should say it like I said it. That is a new talent. Hold on, say that again. Can't stand it. <laughs> I think Lena does that because she's game, right? She is the perfect Hollywood star of that time and that she will do anything, jump through those hoops to keep hold of her celebrity and to keep established the star that she's built for herself. Fear not, sweet lady. I will not molest you. I am but a humble jester. And you, you are too far above me. Farewell, Ethel Barrymore. I must tear myself from your side. Whereas Don actually is the difficult one, if I can say it, a bit of a dick, treats her quite poorly when you get down to it, given the rules of the system at the time, right? He's, throughout the film, she's seen as kind of brash and a bit crass and a bit... Um, I mean, she kind of is she kind in the of film. Is, but yeah. like only because I mean, she's I'll been allowed to be there not... as well. Well, because, yeah, because of the support systems and the kind of the hiding of the true nature of the stars, right? Yeah. But also... I, I'll agree with you that she's treated quite badly in the film, but she also doesn't make herself be very much loved, at least by the audience of Singing in the Rain. Like, she is the de facto villain, essentially. Yeah. She'll be back at the curtain singing and I'll be out in front doing, like in the picture. That's right. What? You've got to do it, Kathy. This thing is too big. Of course she's got to do it. She's got a five-year contract with me. Get over to that microphone, Selden. You heard of Kathy. Now do it. I'll do it, Don. I'll do it, but I never want to see you again, on or off the screen. Now, come on, Lena. What are you going to sing, Miss Lamont? Singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. In uh, what key? A flat. A flat. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. But also I think not, I don't think Don's character is difficult. I think it's that internal dilemma that his character has because he considers himself an artist and he's worked his way up and he's reached a sort of this golden pinnacle of becoming a Hollywood star and he's got everything he's got power he will transition into the talkies you know that's not an issue for him in the same way as it is for Lena mm. her story is quite tragic because she her career effectively ends at the end of singing in the rain but also he 
he wants to be doing good work. He wants to be working with talented people. He understands and plays with the Hollywood machinery and the machinery of celebrity. But you can tell instantly that actually he wants to do something pure, which kind of taps into some of the most iconic dance numbers as well in the film, like the the big Broadway melody that he does. That's a perfect encapsulation of the sort of work that he wants to be doing while he's actually shooting kind of the easygoing comedies that he and the kind of the period romances that he's been that he's shown shooting on screen. And that desire to be seen to be an artist is why he reacts quite so poorly on the first meeting with Debbie Reynolds's character, I'd say, because she is, quote unquote, a proper stage actor, which at the time would have been seen as a kind of higher art. And I guess still is to some to some extent. But he's very keen to impress upon her how much of a movie star he is and how much of a celebrity. And at least in that scene, although it's kind of shown to be a bit false later on, she's very much shakes off that and doesn't really seem to care about who he is because she believes in the art of the stage. And again, I like that, that his insecurities would be kind of projected onto her and he's kind of this pompous big time celebrity who doesn't really have the kind of artistic credibility that he seeks. That's a very familiar story. (laughs) Um, I mean, the film is legendary for being ram-packed full of amazing musical sequences, incredible dancing, some very uh, catchy tunes. I still can't get out of my head having watched it a few days ago. Uh, do you have a favourite one? What's your favourite bit? I think mine is Broadway Melody. Because it feels so unusual. It's it weird, almost, right? It's weird. Like, I remember that is... I saw Singing in the Rain really young. I think it was maybe eight or nine. And I actually developed a bit of an obsession with Gene Kelly. Mm. He was so fascinating to watch. And I remember very vividly that particular sequence because it felt so at odds with the rest of the film. Mm. It almost felt... And, you know, knowing a bit more about the backstory of the making and kind of the Hollywood system and Gene Kelly's kind of professional perfectionism as well and how insistent he was on quality and especially on the dancing being absolutely top-notch. You know, this was his reputation. It was his craft and his art. And movies were were a means to showcase that to as many people as possible. And I know he was very driven as well by making sure that it was not considered like an unmanly thing to really making um, audiences aware that this was extremely hard to do. And it was an artistry and he was absolutely genius at it. So I now realize that that was probably a scene that was forced in potentially because of the cloud that he had at that time to really showcase his artistry Mm. on a higher level than just a Hollywood musical. Not to disparage Hollywood musicals because they have some of the most iconic scenes in cinema history and the set pieces can be extraordinary. You know, just think about West Side Story, Singing in the Rain, Anchors Away, anything else you want to mention. They did become formulaic to a degree, which is what led to their decline in a way. And, you know, it's an infamous story that kind of Hello Dolly almost bankrupted a studio because they've put everything into it and musicals were just not in vogue at the time and audiences were just not responding to that lavishness on screen. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because that that happens a lot with quote-unquote classic film. And I think some like it falls foul of that a little bit as well, that they will forever kind of remain in a kind of slightly misty fashion, classic films throughout. But I would argue that the Broadway melody bit and definitely the Beautiful Girls section before that are kind of superfluous to Singing in the Rain and could have got a cut. For lounging in her boudoir, this simple, plain pyjama. Her cloak is trimmed with monkey fur to lend a dash of drama. 
Anyone for tennis? Well, this will make them cringe. And you'll knock them dead at dinner if your gown just drips with fringe. Have you heard of Tony Farina, the Steve Coogan character? No. He's Portugal's number one lover man slash crooning singer, right? And he does these incredibly cheesy um, songs about women that are completely sexist and inappropriate, but hilarious at the same time. And if you watch Beautiful Girls side by side with a Tony Farino video, it's really hard to tell the two apart. She's an ordinary girl. You should try stopping being ordinary girl. To hell with the shopping, why not stop and smell a rose? Or take off all your clothes and come run wild with me. Let your flag unfurl, you very, very, very ordinary girl. It gets better, don't worry. Ordinary girl, ordinary eyes and lips and ordinary curls. Ordinary thighs and hips, if only I could find. I know it was made in the 50s, but it is kind of this weird, like you've had this incredibly funny, smart, sharp and witty film. And then you suddenly kind of drop into this pastiche. I think it's a pastiche of this fashion show with this guy singing adoringly about the uh, attributes of 16 year old girls. Quite odd in itself, considering, you know, the real life parallels. But um, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there that doesn't need to be there. And classic films have that a fair bit, I think, that we kind of fall in love with all of it indiscriminately. But also, Chinsters, I think actually people remember different things. Mm -hmm. Like, I very specifically remember about Singing in the Rain, the Broadway melody sequence, but Beautiful Girls is the thing that sticks with you. And then that's the thing that you associate with the rest of the film. I'm completely making this up, so this is not based on any fact. But I can imagine (laughs) that that sequence was forced by the studio. And the Broadway melody sequence was forced by Gene Kelly. Let's just put it this way. It's the bit that we would cut when Dwayne remakes Singing in the Rain. No, never. In fact, I'd still I'd still have Sir Cherise Jansen with him. She'd mm. be amazing. I feel like so far we've underserved Debbie Reynolds a little bit, who is fantastic in this film and didn't know how to dance before they started. Apparently, Fred Astaire found her crying under a piano because she was so stressed out about having to match up to Gene Kelly's demands. And then he helped her learn the dance steps and taught her essentially how to get through the, the dance sequences that she found so difficult. But I love her in this film. I She's think amazing. Her charisma is incredible. And she She's has so this charming. amazing dirty laugh as well that she does at him when he comes out of the car and his tuxedo rips. Mm-hmm. It feels completely natural. It feels like that's the way she laughs at everything. And I was putting that laugh on repeat just because it made me so happy to see her so happy. <laughs> Okay, that is a bit weird, so I'm going to skip over that. <laughs> but just to echo the fact that she she so holds her own against Gene Kelly's kind yeah. of absolutely domineering charisma on screen. Like, he just lights any screen on fire that when he's in a scene. But she so holds her own, and it really parallels as well the relationship between their characters. Yeah, totally. Because she is the pure talent, and she values the art and the artistry above everything else. And that's the thing that draws him to her. And that's the thing that makes him see her as a person and also discover kind of his own values and put them on a higher plane mm-hmm. rather than the fame aspects, which he's already kind of in that world. But you can tell even from those beginning scenes, those early scenes in the film that he's not really thriving in there. And she's definitely not a sop. Like it's a similar to A Star Is Born in that way in that the kind of the divide between the quote unquote normal person and the celebrity is breached pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Like she she never feels that starstruck by him, even though 
as we find out later, she's been hiding how much of a fan she is of his work. She's always kind of pulling him up on where he's going wrong or and not in a supportive woman way. It's very much, you know, you need to do this so that we can together have a career. I think, and to be honest, kind of even just with these stories about Gene Kelly's perfectionism as well, all they care about in the film and in the making of it is the work. Yeah. Everything else doesn't matter yeah. as long as the work is good. Yeah, and the romance seems like it was a side note. Like that does feel Absolutely, like something yeah. the studio well, was a like, well, they born, have to kiss, right? Yeah, right. well, There's a Star is Born is primarily a romance yeah. Yeah. in all of its iterations. Excellent double act. That's it for this episode. The Bigger Picture brought to you by the BFI is hosted by me and Anna. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Henry H. Barnes and Anna is... Anna B. Demented. Our studio head is Peter Sale. The RF Mitchell to me and Anna's Don and Lena. More of Pete's work at petersale.co.uk. Excuse you, who are you calling, Lena? <laughs> Singing in the Rain is screening across the UK as part of the BFI's musicals. There's an exclamation mark season, which runs all the way through into January. Check out bfi.org.uk for full details and an excellent primer on the history of the movie musical put together by Pal of the Pod, Sam Wigley. We're back in a couple of weeks. There's some context for this episode's last line. Before we started this podcast, Anna, Pete and I spent many days crowded around a whiteboard brainstorming. What should the pod be? Who was it for? What do we believe in? We sweated and we struggled and we strived for an answer. And in the end, we settled on one simple defining statement. Dignity. Always dignity. Dignity. Always dignity. That's very nice, but can we go see a rock movie now? (laughs) Definitely. Cool. That's all I care about. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.